to another episode of Podcast of the Fallen. I am one of your hosts, Matt, here with Nate tonight. Um, Yeah. Yeah, we made the incredible choice of... uh, So we're covering chapters 18 18 through 21, and uh, some big things happen, especially in chapters 20 and 21. So we made the genius decision to start recording at 9.08 p.m. on a day when we both have... Actually, I have to work tomorrow morning. I my my one fitness class like at six, no seven a.m. But it's like a twenty minute drive. It's so annoying. See, that's why I don't take fitness classes. I need I need it for the associate. So, oh, uh, that's I don't mind fair. it. The hardest part though is it's a twenty minute drive. Honestly, I don't like driving that far in the morning to get there. Fair enough, I guess. At least that early. But yeah, um, I told Matt to read chapter 21 in one sitting, and he came up to me at work today and said, man. <laughs> ah, it hit hard. Yep, we'll get there. We got three chapters to go before that. Yep. And then I can officially confirm now that we will be having Lee from Smiley's podcast on as a guest to talk about Dead House Gates at the end of the book. Um, some of you may also know him on Reddit as r slash lowly with like five E's at the end. Uh, he's basically the Malazan encyclopedia that writes many essays in the comments all day on Reddit. And it's impressive how much he's able to remember. He must just listen to the audiobooks on repeat. I don't think he does, actually. I mean, that's what I would have to do to be that s- smart about something. I mean, I I feel like I, I feel like I know the series pretty well, but I could not go into the in-depth essays and pull all the quotes that he does and all of that stuff. But that should be a really fun conversation. Oh yeah, I'm excited. Are we ready to jump in? Yeah, might as well. Chapter eighteen: Fiddler's group comes upon the corpses of some nameless ones at the entrance to the Azath maze. Akarium recognizes them from a dream. Mappa recognizes them from earlier in his life, and Absalar recognizes them from Dancer's memories, and we learn that the Nameless Ones were eradicated from the Malazan Empire under Kelenved. No one knows why they recruit guardians for Ikarium. Fiddler halts the group at a bend in the maze, and a soul-taken bear speeds past them to engage another shapeshifter. Mappo kills the second one, and the bear, who turns out to be Mesram, Mappo's friend, is taken by the maze as well. Further in, the hounds form a wall against a tide of rats moving in as Mappo holds Akarium back with all his strength. Felicin comes upon an orphan guarding the rebellion camp and declares that she will speak for all the orphans. Toblakai guides her to a ledge to speak to the masses. The power of Drizna flows into her and she speaks to each of the high mages in her mind. She announces that the army will march and sends the Spear of the Apocalypse into the sky. Fiddler has taken rearguard as they flee the rats. He throws a flamer, and then as Akarium begins to keen in rage, he throws his last cusser, which is actually the conch shell given to him earlier in the book by the Tano spirit walker Kimlock. It destroys the rats, and a wave of water washes over the group, leaving them dry. Mappo has knocked out Akarium, and Pust wants Akarium given to the Azath, but Mappo and Fiddler refuse. That was it. I think that's it. As I'm combining 18 and 19 in my head. Yeah, I think you're combining 18 and 19. So yeah, that's all that happens in 18. First off, we have the Nameless One bodies at the entrance to the maze, and everyone recognizes them. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. So I feel like uh, 
Like a secret, they're a secret organization, more or less, right? Yeah, I mean, with the name, like the nameless ones. Aren't they, isn't it revealed, see this is where my timeline's going to be messed up probably, but it's revealed at least within these chapters that they, uh, what's it called, they're the guardians of the Zath houses, right? Or they're like chosen from these Zath houses? Yeah, that they are the guardians of the Azath, or they worship the Azath houses, or something like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that is specifically revealed here, or if it's the thought Mappo has later on in Chapter 19. Either or. I just thought that was interesting, like the nameless ones that uh, that Akarium's like, oh yeah, I had a dream about him once. I had a dream about like, those guys. <laughs> yeah. And Mappo's like, uh, no, I remember them. I met them. Yeah, Akarium has a dream that's eerily similar to uh, Mappo's memories of his yeah. home village. Which is rather strange. Well, I think is. <laughs> Go ahead. I was just going to say, what I think is kind of funny, though, is uh, how much Absalar pulls in uh, of uh, Dancer's memories throughout these whole chapters through the whole was... Zath house. <laughs> that's exactly what I was just about to bring up, is that every time they, throughout the whole book, anytime like, there's something... They're like, what is this? Absolar's there with like, I have a little bit of information because Dancer was a busy man. <laughs> yep. Uh, nameless ones eradicated from the uh, Malazan Empire. Helen Red did not like them, so he nope. eradicated the entire cult. Uh, do you want to know how to get in? I know how to get in. I know the way. It's identical <laughs> to the other one. Did you want to know who Shadowthorne and Cotillion are, even though you didn't really need- think that you needed to know who they are? Here's who they are. I know. I thought uh, that was pretty cool. As well, uh, the rats came back. Wasn't that the merchant dude? Yep. So they came back. And uh, what I think is, uh, uh, I totally forgot what I was going to say. It was like two trains of thoughts. I don't remember now. But the rats, um, back to them, I was just thinking like, it talked about how much they had multiplied, it seemed like. Which I was like, that is just freaky to think about. They've grown powerful. Thousands of rats just swarming towards you. I know. And it takes all of Mappo's whatever to stop Akarium from unleashing the rage monster. To just hold him back. Yeah. But uh, I think it's funny is the the hounds. Like, I feel like you don't we don't see them too much. But like what we can glean from like their actions and like minor tidbits here and there is I think it's kind of funny how like they split up and like go their separate ways, but then gather back. But one always seems to be by Acarium, which I thought was kind of interesting. But I'm like, I was thinking, what is that one hound going to do against Acarium? Like, yeah, I don't know how powerful they are, but. Because at one point he just swats the one that's by him. Like he just swats yeah. it aside. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, what are you guys going to do? Why do you keep like cowering? But it's crazy though, how powerful they are against a lot of the soul taken and divers. Yeah. Cause the, uh, is that later on? Yep, that's later on. That's in the next chapter, so I'll save that. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Mappo's friend gets killed and taken by the maze. Oh, yeah. The bear soul taken, who they talked to earlier in the book for like a page. But Mappo's kind of... Mappo's devastated that he's going to be in eternal imprisonment. And Akari, someone is like, actually, look, it crushed his windpipe, so he's dead. So he's not going to have to suffer eternal punishment. I totally forgot that he was his friend until Mappo like was sad about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about him. So what did the, the shell exactly do? That's what I was a little confused by. Okay. The answer is magic. <laughs> the answer is it did some magic. And Kimlock 
as a spirit walker may or may not have some sort of like future sight or have been able to sense Fiddler's intent. And so he aspected it to be able to do what it did. Um, Interesting. That tremolor. So yeah, a wave of like water full of like junk and ruins and stuff washes over them, but leaves them dry and it like bursts all of the rats. Yeah, that's why I was a little confused. But I was like, did it wash away the rats or somehow kill them? But that's weird. So it killed them all. Mapo and Fiddler have a little conversation about it later on in the next chapter, I think. So, yeah. Well, I don't think there's too much more to cover than here that I can think of. So I feel like a lot of it comes later on. I do love when Pust is wanting them to give Akarium to the Azath house. Fiddler and Mapo are saying no. And Fiddler pretends to have a cusser that he's ready to use to just blow them all up. And Puss is like, damned sappers who invented them. Why, Kelenved, who else who ascended to become your god? Oh, yeah. I think it's so funny that Puss is still around and that they haven't got rid of him. Um, Yeah, I don't have too much more about Fiddler's group. We do have, we have a little Fellison section here. Oh, yeah. Where she uh, comes upon an orphan. And kind of shows some kindness to the orphan, declares she's going to speak for all of the children in the camp that don't have anyone to care for them. Um, And then I did. This is the first time I've ever thought of this comparison. But then she has Toblakai lead her to the ledge where she's going to like stand up and speak to everyone from. And it just reminded me of that scene from The Princess Bride where... uh. <laughs> He's like, Fezzik, if you please, everybody move. <laughs> yeah, that is actually a pretty good comparison. Toblakai doesn't say anything. He just starts walking through the crowd and everyone parts in front of yeah. him because they don't want to get in his way. But that that's a that's a funny uh, comparison, though. I didn't even think of that. Uh, for people listening that have not seen The Princess Bride. Do yourself a favor and go watch it. It might be my all-time favorite movie. Such a good one. It's so funny. Oh, while you're looking for some, I totally forgot, but there was a, I guess, a part in the, in Tremolor that I really liked. It was a new insult or a new uh, curse. Hood's stubby ankles. Oh, I that one didn't even stand out to me, but. I I for some reason got a kick out of that because I was like, of all the things to say, you're talking about his ankles. I'm like, they're they just get more and more strange and creative. Okay, I have I just have to find where my favorite curse in Malazan is because it's such it's the littlest thing to look forward to, and I need to know where it is so I can stop wondering where it is. Oh, that's not till book six. Gosh dang it. <laughs> We'll be there at the end of next year, maybe. Something like that. Anyways, yes, that's a very good curse. Um, I do also love uh, Heboric and Leoman's chat about how the Malazan Empire adapts. And what, like, Leoman, you do realize, like, the the Empire has faced cavalry before a lot, and they adapt always to do whatever it takes to conquer and Leoman's like, yeah, well, guess what? I've read the Emperor's, like, I've read the Emperor's stuff, and I know what he said. And we know how the Empire thinks, so we're going to do better. And Haboric's like, uh, are you? I thought, like, I thought those, 
he always tries to do something and i'm like guys you're battling against like an acclaimed priest of fenner and a historian like the guy's no dummy leon's not a dummy either i know but i think it's funny he's like oh yeah we have all the books and he's like i wrote and i feel like he could come back and be like i wrote some of them yeah uh, or something he Leoman quotes Kellen Red like, "Know your enemies better than they know themselves." And Hiborik's like, "Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, no doubt he said that, but he probably wasn't the first. He's just the one that practiced it quite well. It's kind of like there's no original art or no original stories anymore because everyone is borrowing something from somewhere. It's true. Like Akarium's the Hulk. Oh, yeah. I don't. I doubt Erickson, from what I've seen of." him i doubt erickson like watches or cares about marvel or comic books yeah but akarium to the hulk i feel like is a fairly accurate comparison just one would uh not cry after being beat up by thanos well i think akarium could kill thanos so that's true uh yeah i don't really have anything else from chapter 18 um oh the only thing i thought was just uh what's her bucket Bellison just chatting uh, with all the mages. Oh, yeah. He's like, you're not going to go see him? She's like, I can communicate with them. And then she does, and like all of them are just kind of like, oh, crap. She knows she knows and who I am. She owns all of them because now yeah. she has all of the old Shaikh's knowledge, too. Mm-hmm. Which I think is uh, quite interesting how she played that out. And she's like, the other two plot constantly against me, but they're the least of my problems because I know what they're doing. Lorik, <laughs> you last one. I have no idea why you're here, who you are, or what you're thinking. And then she tells him to kneel, and he does like a half kneel with one knee, and she's like, ah, very pragmatic, as always. I think, uh, so I did have this question, though. She accesses this Warren, specifically? Do we know anything about that? We don't know anything about this one specifically, no. Okay. Because it was mentioned, and then I was like, uh, is this something we've learned a bit about or not? But I was going to say, you even sent me the meme about Warrens. Oh, yes. There was a meme from... So good. I think it's Invincible is where the format is taken from. Uh, there was a meme on the Malaza meme subreddit that... Was, uh, so when do I get the explanation about Warrens? That's the neat part. You don't. I'm like, that's the most accurate meme I've seen about Malazan. I was thinking about this while I was at work. Bit of a side note. I was like, everyone talks about book two when I was looking into it. Like, oh, it's a completely different cast of characters. I thought it was like so new that like everyone gets really confused. But I was like, this felt like a really natural progression of the story. Like, I didn't oh. feel like it was that disconnected from the rest of it, personally. Nope. But Yeah, well, there you go. Warrens are the most confusing part of Moazin. They're one of the most confusing parts, for sure. Are we good to move on to 19? Mm-hmm. Chapter 19. Duiker and Lol share a beautiful conversation about PTSD and dealing with trauma. The train rides through a forest with Talani Mass embedded in the trees, a graveyard. Later, as Duerker and List head towards the front of the train, they come upon Coltane and Bolt in front of the sappers. Coltane attempts to honor one with a promotion to sergeant, only to learn that he just demoted the sapper's captain that's been refusing to attend the briefings. The commander struggled to keep a straight face. At the front of the column, List describes the Talon Imas and Jagut War when they see the spear pierce the sky. 
Kalam, more confused than ever by his voyage, breaks a rock to communicate with Quick Ben. Quick says there's a warren aboard the ship, one of the rarest among mortals that may be messing with things. The connection fades out, and Kalam learns from Sul Kalan that they're being blown towards Malaz City. Akarium's dreams have made Mappo doubt his own memories of the destruction of his village. Fiddler makes sure that Mappo will defend all of them, not just Akarium, and as Carl Pust makes everyone doubt his insanity. Moby appears to the group and is more than he seems. They rush towards the Azath house, hoping it will open for them. A warren opens behind them, and Denrabi appear, which the hounds destroy. They reach the door of the house, and it doesn't open. Duiker and Liz come upon a Jagut tomb. The Imas broke every bone in the five-year-old boy's body and pinned him underneath a rock. The Jagut tried reasoning with the Imas multiple times, but failed, and raised glaciers of ice to prevent the Imas from reaching them, which caused the Imas to enter into a ritual that let them travel like dust on the wind. The chain of dogs is attacked again and again by two new tribes until they reach Sanamon Valley. After a depressing command meeting, the Trigal Trade Guild appears out of a warren, bearing food and water for the train. Dujek one arm is behind the mission, and it's hinted that his army may not be as outlawed as once thought. The leader of the caravan, Karpolin Demisand, gives Coltane an object fashioned by Quickben and tells him to break it against his chest when the time comes. The army rises in the morning with more strength than they've had in a long time. As battle begins, Coltane is met by a Kundril war chief, a tribe who have come to fight the other tribes and honor the Wiccans as the strongest there is. They decimate the opposing armies and leave the chain of dogs free to continue marching. One of the longest summaries we've had so far. I know, that was a long chapter. Um, but let's dive right in. Moby's back. Yes. Thought that was pretty funny. And Pusk is just, he hates him. He's like, <laughs> not another one. No. Yep. He's like, get rid of it. Uh, but to start off the chapter, Dewarker and Lil's conversation here is just so good. I'm trying to remember that conversation. Um, all those tomes you've read, those other thoughts from other men, other women, other times. How does a mortal make answer to what his or her kind are capable of? Does each of us, soldier or no, reach a point when all that we've seen, survived, changes us inside, irrevocably changes us? What do we become then? Less human or more human? Human enough or too human? Each of us has his own threshold. Soldier or no, we can only take so much before we cross over into something else as if the world has shifted around us, though it's only our way of looking at it. And then some more stuff. More human or less human, that's for you to decide. Surely it has been written of by scholars, priests, philosophers. Efforts have been made, but those who themselves have crossed that th threshold, well, they have few words to describe the place they found and little inclination to attempt to explain it. As I said, it's a place without intelligence, a place where thoughts wander formless, unlinked, lost. And then... Lull asks, well, how do I get through it? And Duiker says, sleight of hand. And then that comes back later. That comes back in like a couple pages when they, the sapper scene happens and they can't help but laugh. Oh, I know. Yeah, that I think Duiker is such an interesting character because he is that historian. And I think it's interesting to get that perspective of this is List, right? I think it's or... Lull. Is it lol? Why do you have to do two L's? Come on. I'm getting <laughs> confused. Can't keep them straight. Because one gets injured and disappears, and then it, like, reverses. I don't know. Anyways, no, I remember loosely that, because I just remember there's one part that talked about, like, it was probably later on, once again, 
but just remind me of like the perspective of um like each person like each shoulder is different but like none of it's recorded it seems like it's kind of like the idea the trauma battle i guess just eventually hits a point where just it's numb which i feel yep. like it's been very obviously explained unfortunately and duiker is at that point already yeah because he's just like how can you even record this like which i feel like is understandable like when we i think it puts history into a better perspective of like yeah we may have like really accurate documents we may have like videos now and things like that in recordings but it's still like it doesn't capture being there like the actual moment like you're still coming at it with an outside perspective yeah for sure you're never gonna be able to record feelings and stuff like that nope so but then we get the scene with the sappers and uh listening to a video the other day of uh it was dlc book club who are currently reading through the series on um the channel critical dragon which is also a big malazan youtube channel uh but one of them made the point that it's really impressive how erickson it doesn't feel like it's swinging but erickson like swings between tragedy and humor so well but it doesn't feel like off-putting or like he's changed mm. the tone or jarring that's just, that's something that i really appreciate about the series yeah i agree because this was uh i thought it was pretty funny because he's like, you just demoted their captain. He's like, you were the captain? Well, you didn't really do anything as a captain. Oh, okay. Well, then you're the captain now. She's the captain? Well, <laughs> she, she's not very good at that either. That nah, doesn't matter. You're in charge. And the new captain's name is Bungle. Oh, yeah. Because isn't it Bolt? Like, how do you feel about your new captain being Bungle, named Bungle? <laughs> <laughs> It'll work out. He's like, it's fine. Fun fact about this scene... Uh, the reason that the Sapper's captain never attended the briefings is because when they're in the city in Hissar at the beginning of the book, Erickson straight up forgot to include him as the character that attended the meeting. And rather um... than go back and rewrite it, he was like, I can work with this. So it's a joke throughout the whole book that you can't find the Sapper's captain. No one knows who he is. They doubt he exists so that this scene can happen at the end where Coltane screws up but it's an imperial decree, so he has to go along with what he said. And, like, Duerker even looks over at Lowell, and Lowell is, like, grinning and says, sleight of hand. I was like, so that is it so fitting. It was so fitting. So well done. And Coltane's like, I didn't know what to do. Yeah, I think it's so funny. Coltane. just like, yeah, I, I guess, yeah. The sappers, though, always crack me up, because I'm like, they are a different breed of soldier. 100%. <laughs> Coltane is talking, like, giving them a speech before he does the announcement. And Duke is like, no, Coltane, keep going. Don't you realize the uglier and the meaner they stare at you, the more they're liking it. And that one line of, oh, yeah, he can sleep walking. I've never seen the like before. He just puts <laughs> one foot in front of the other, snoring away. And where was he? Oh, he was always asleep. His beauty sleep. He is quite the handsome sapper, as so is written. Yes. <laughs> Not. Yeah, I love that scene so much. Yeah, because then the next scene, isn't it uh, the Jagoot? Or is that later on? Uh, we get a bit of it here. Because we just can't kind of get the the graves. Yeah, the, the graves of the Talon Imas. Graves is in quotes because they're still sentient and still staring up from the trees. Because they don't bury their fallen ones because they're still 
like undead alive. So they put them in places where they could still stare out and see stuff yeah. rather than just eternal darkness. So when they die, those how's that work? Is it just they stop moving or the ability to move? Or yeah, well they're like bone people, right? So if mm-hmm. you if enough bones get broken, yes, yeah, that's pretty. That's really eerie. It's like the the pictures and all the creepy movies where the eyes follow you. <laughs> Yeah, I th- I think it's been cool to see though, like uh, a little more of the history of this area and just uh, who the Jagut were and the Talanamas. Describing the war, yeah, that most of the Jagut weren't even like tyrants or under the influences of a tyrant. They just wanted to keep to themselves, and the yeah. Talanamas decided on a genocide because there were a few bad individuals. I mean, the Jagut even put one of the tyrants like locked up, right? Which makes me wonder how powerful. It just like keeps me wondering. I guess a lot of these things, like who the Jagut really are, and like where their power comes from, and all that, and like how powerful they really are. You know. Yeah, and I think at the end of this is where List and uh, Duerker are at the tower, and he List kind of describes how the family set up there and just repelled attacks. And Duerker at one point is like, "So uh, how old is this tower?" Oh, you know, one, two hundred years? No, millennia. Oh, yeah. When they were talking about the tower, I thought of, it's probably really bad comparison, but I thought of Weathertop from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> that's Something that's an like old that. ruin. Yeah, that was kind of the image that came to mind for some reason. I was like, yeah, I guess that works. Yeah, I, I think because Wheel of Time, Lord of the Rings, it's like 3,000 years is ancient, and Malazan comes along and is like, 3,000 years is old, but this is what ancient, ancient looks like. 200 millennia old. 200,000 years. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, and then our world is like modern humans were maybe just starting up at 200,000 years ago. Is that what they say? I thought it was 30,000. I could be Maybe it was the first humanoids, like the first ancestors of modern humans were starting up 200,000 years ago. I don't know. Maybe. Now I need to know. ChatGPT to the rescue. <laughs> Modern humans evolved in Africa around 200,000 years ago, according to Natural History Museum UK. That's what it's saying as well. The planet had ice ages and interglacial periods. Hunter-gatherers. Some variations in the coastlines due to uh, the sea levels. Because ah. of glaciers and ices. So that like is an interesting contrast or like comparison to uh, the the jagged where they were like, oh, you're going to try and fight us. Here's glaciers. And in the real world, our world, a few thousand, like 200,000 years ago, there were massive glaciers holding all the water in. Yeah. I wonder there where you, you got go. from. <laughs> is he a historian? Anthropology yeah, it, guy? It's almost like he is like a huge into history. Something like that. The next scene that we get is uh, Kalam uh, communicating with Quick Ben. So we get a just a quick little reminder that Dead House Gates is happening simultaneously with Memories of Ice. Oh, is that right? Yeah, they're happening at the same time. Mm, gotcha. Yeah, because Quick Ben is like, yeah, I can't really talk. Things aren't going too well here. <laughs> I'm losing my connection. Mallet says I lost too much blood yesterday. What's going on? Ah, you don't need to worry about it. Well, Colum's like, search this ship, and Quick Ben's like, that's all? You know, you can only use this once. I know. I think it's funny that's a rock, though. 
Yeah, That's another one other him. than the rock that he squished to get into the Warren. Yeah. Quick Ben's out here giving everyone all kinds of MacGuffins. He gave, or not MacGuffins, but magical objects, because he gave Kalam yeah. the rock to get into the Warren, the rock to communicate with him. Didn't Fiddler have something? Yeah, later on, he gives Fiddler something through the trade guild. He gives Coltane oh, yeah. the thing here. Yeah. No, I think I think it's so funny to see Quick Ben just pop up like this. And then he's just like, yeah, there's a warrant here. I don't know what it is, but good luck. Uh, were you suspicious at all of Salkalan at this point? Oh, very much. Because I was like, he's revealed to be somewhat of a mage up to this. Like, that's the suspicion. And so when there's like a warrant like that, I'm like, he has to be involved. Like, there's too many things set up. That's like, yeah. he, it has to be him. I feel he, like he's too smug about the whole thing, too. Yeah. I mean, I don't have anything else to say about this Kalam section. Oh, not much happened besides the quick bin stuff. Uh, the main know. thing that I have in the next section with Fiddler's group, other than the hounds doing what you alluded to and seeing how powerful they are when they jump down the Den Robbie's throat. Yeah. Other than that being super awesome and Fiddler realizing it's the same one that they attacked earlier in the book and it wasn't a soul taken, it was a d- diverse. Yep. You've got is Carl Pust who who says in a very different voice from his normal voice, the blathering of secrets, so they judge me ineffectual. I didn't understand that, to be honest. So what he because everyone spins to face him immediately. Yeah. So what what Pust is implying there is is all of his like monologue and stating like his internal dialogue out loud, is all of that real because he's crazy? Or is he doing it as an illusion to put people off the scent? Oh, yeah. So, like the the blathering of secrets, so they judge me ineffectual. So it's like, how insane is this girl bust? Yeah, no, I part of me has wondered that a little, little bit. I'm like, some feels off. Like, I feel like he's pretty smart because like to be a, a priest of Shadow Throne like that, I feel like he's not going to pick an idiot. Yeah, he's a high mage of Shadow, too. Yeah. But, uh, no, the hounds, like when I'm picturing a dog like that, I'm not, I don't think they're nearly that powerful. Like where they get just like literally jump down the throat and kill it. Yeah. Well, these hounds are like bigger than horses. Oh yeah. That makes sense. I imagine them like great Dane sizes more or less. No, I I think, I think it said somewhere that like there, there was some comparison we read we've read before that was like they made mules look like ponies or something like that. Oh, okay. So like clippers. Yeah. They're gigantic. Yeah. So I was picturing like a, like a great Dane size, but it's like a, what's that dog? I don't remember. Like a, like just a really big, thick, massive dog. They're Scooby-Doo. But... Okay. <laughs> okay. No, we'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> Honestly, because I've been playing lots of uh, Ghost of Tsushima recently, it's just bigger versions of the dogs in that game that you have to fight that are owned by the Mongols. But that's probably not what they look like either, because those dogs are super shaggy with like the hair hanging over the eyes and all of that. Oh yeah, those are like mastiffs. But because yeah, I think I... it's like a massive mastiff, I guess is what I would consider it. Yeah, I'm with you, though. I keep thinking of them, unless I think about it, as like a relatively normal-sized, really large dog. Yeah. But they're huge. But that makes so much more sense. 
because like obviously being magical gives you some sort of power but the size doesn't feel right until you said that and like that makes more sense yep uh yeah moby shows back up moby i jumped the gun a little but moby's back guys moby's back catch that and i i have um something for you when we get to the section where it's revealed like what he is oh yeah uh yeah they they reach the door of the house and it does not open trapped with a swarm of blood flies heading towards you oh yeah stupid blood flies Ugh, gross the next section oh yeah we have the fun part where we uh learn what the eye mask did to the jagu boy broke every bone in his body and pinned him underneath a rock for eternity i remember reading that and like i think i read it and thought about it a little bit like because when you mentioned that i was like very distinctly remember reading that and I was like, that was pretty messed up. Yeah, and the dad died, and his grief was so raw that it's like infected the area around his son's grave, so that the entire army is just feeling way more down than normal. Sounds familiar. Like, there's some book or thing I read that, like, if they're in that area, they feel worse. I'm trying to think of what it was, though. I mean, all of Mordor in Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. Maybe that was it. I'm sure there's probably other examples. There's, uh, There has to be something else. I can't remember what it was, though. Hmm. Oh, well. Yeah, and we also learn why the IMAS entered into their ritual that made them all undead. Oh, wasn't it to just catch them? Yeah, it was because of the glaciers, because the Jagat were raising glaciers and they couldn't get around them. So they did their cursed ritual. So they can move like dust on the wind. And we saw that a little bit earlier in the book with the IMAS on the ship. Yeah, they can just reform. So they are they I'm trying to pick, figure out how I'm like supposed to imagine these guys. Are they skeletons? Like walking skeletons or I would say that some of them probably are. Some of them still have like patches or strips of skin, or their skin is like super thin around their bones, but pretty much like half decayed skeleton people. And they chose that, right? And they're Yeah, they chose to become undead so that they could continue their eternal war of genocide against the Jagu. Yeah. But they were like a normal race beforehand. I'll just give you a hint. There's a lot more of that coming up in the next book. I wondered. I feel like we'd have to see more. Yeah. I mean, you already pointed it out earlier. Memories of Ice. Yeah. And we've learned that. Yeah. Anyways. Oh, the Ice holds memories. Yep. So, I'll wrap for anything else about that because we are going to get more shortly we're going to start next week hopefully hopefully yes fingers crossed what did you think of the trigal trade guild appearing out of nowhere threw me for a total loop not gonna lie it reminded me of the the creepy merchant dude with felison but this was legit yes but i was just like what on earth i'm like this is like the npc in video games of like the merchant that travels around type of thing i'm like this is i thought it was pretty funny actually in some regards because he's like he's wearing like these super nice clothes and we see a bit later as well he's just like sweating buckets through all of it yeah he's overweight oh yeah definitely i think it's a cool concept though of the they traveling the warrens but like all the people that are part of the trade guild all have like their they're all partial owners, I guess, in some aspect. They're, they're all shareholders just to ensure mm-hmm. that they do their absolute best as they go through the Warrens. Yeah. 
which I thought was kind of cool. But then it makes me wonder, another question about Warrens, how the flip do you travel through them like that then? It's like, I don't know. Uh, another, let's just add another notch on Erickson's belt for amazing names, Carpolin Demisand. That's the name it's of the, the merchant, the, right? That's the name of the leader of the caravan, yeah. I never think to like pronounce it out loud to see how weird they sound. So when you read, do you not like, because when I read, I have a voice in my head that's pronouncing the words. I do, but not all the time. Like it doesn't always register. I feel like, like the voice is there, but like, it's not. Okay. Like sometimes I feel like I read maybe a little too quick. Like I kind of like gloss over some things, but like the name, like I don't always think to try and read them out loud for some reason. Most of these names I had never said out loud until we started doing the podcast. Yeah. But no, he, yeah, he had a pretty interesting name. Same with the guild. The, yeah, Trigal Trade Guild. And it's they're like, uber expensive because they travel through the Warrens. It's like, we came from they're, the Blue City. Yeah. What did you think of the hints that, uh, hey, maybe Dujek's army is not as outlawed as first thought? I thought that was pretty cool. I was like, kind of makes sense. I feel like Dujek wouldn't be, he doesn't feel like the, the rogue rebel type per se. In terms of, like, I'm just going to do it to do it. Like, I feel like he has a purpose with whatever he's doing. Like, he rebelled against the... And became an outlaw just because... Terrible management, honestly. <laughs> like, that's kind of what it was. Like, poor management that kind of got a lot of them killed. Yeah, um, Tayshan should not be the general manager of a Walmart anytime soon. Because he does not work well with people. Nope, not at all. He, in fact, killed a lot of them. And yep. so... Like, I feel like Dujek's like, from what we've learned, he's a pretty solid guy. Like, he's there to to get stuff done because it's to benefit people, I think. Yeah, it even, it comes about because, oh yeah, because Carpolin gives Coltane the object fashioned by Quick Ben that he's supposed to smash against his chest. And Coltane's like, I don't want it. And he's like, Dujek is prepared to pull rank on you on this. And Dujek is like, an outlaw's going to pull rank on a fist? Uh, that doesn't add up. I know. And he's like, well, you see. Sort of, but no. It's a yes, but no. Yeah, I don't know. Trigo Trade Guild coming out of nowhere like this. Definitely shocking first read. Uh, it will make sense later. Oh, kind of like I'm... how the Azath at the end of Gardens of the Moon. Yeah, no, it, uh, it can, it came out of nowhere and I was just like, what? This is different, but I, I did like it though. I thought it was fun. To steal a point that was made on the DLC book club video about when they got to this chapter is I feel like I would not like the trade guild as much if they like brought enough to like save the chain of dogs. Yeah. But they bring enough to get them up back up on their feet and to keep going. Yeah. No, I thought that was smartly done. It wasn't like a like a cop out like and now you're safe. It wasn't it was like Deus Ex Machina. Yeah, it was okay, here's some help to get you along. And then the next morning we have the uh Kundril tribe showing up because they've come to prove their mettle against the other tribes and honor the strongest tribe in seven cities. I thought that was pretty cool. And they uh they think they're coming for like single combat at first and Duaker or Coltane is prepared to fight, and Jorger's like, Fist doesn't do that, dude. And Coltane's line of like, so do I not get to choose how I die? 
no, no, you don't. You're supposed to let everyone no, else die no, you as don't. the you're, leader. You're a fist, so yeah. you lord please to the army. Yeah. Um, did you have anything else about chapter nineteen? Uh no. No, I didn't. Okay. Let's move on. We only have one more chapter and then we can talk about the big thing. Chapter twenty. Kalam and Salkalan trade even more darts with each other as they approach Malaz City. All of Fiddler's group tries opening the Azath door as Akarium's rage burgeons, but to no avail, until Moby opens it, and we learn that he is a soul-taken demon. The group sees the corpse of a Forkul Assail, the former guardian of Tremolor. The Trigal Trade Guild shows up again, this time bringing Fiddler munitions. Moby was led to the house to be the house's new guardian. Uh, they also come upon Dasimul Tor's daughter, untouched by time and brought here after Hood was done using her. They leave, and the suit of armor in the hallway welcomes Moby. Coltane's army has been in a running battle for 40 hours without reprieve. Duiker is summoned to Coltane with a command to get the refugees to Eren. Coltane gives him the title of soldier, and Duiker accepts, and his nameless marine gives him a scrap of cloth, telling him to wait before reading it. Coltane intends to carve a path down Hood's throat. Duiker negotiates passage for the refugees with the Quran. That night, the refugees release their anguish. Duiker rejects the nobles' proposal that they go ahead of the rest of them, and he knocks out one of the nobles when challenged to a duel. Duiker pushes the refugees along the Aran Way towards the city. Some give up, sitting down on the road and accepting their fate. Duiker snatches up a child and takes it to the gates. Kaneb, now a captain in the city guard, informs him that the soldiers on the wall are as close as they're allowed to get. Duiker is the last one through, reflecting on the chain of dogs as the gates close. Cotillion meets with Apt and Panic, the one-eyed child in the Shadow Realm. He promises that Panic will never feel helpless again. Apt goes to help Kalam. Kalam is staring out over Malaz Harbor, the crew sleeping, when he is immobilized by Sal Kalan, who it turns out is actually Pearl. He says Lucene wants a conversation with the assassin, but first he must punish Kalam for leaving the claw. Three hands await him in the city, and Pearl stabs him and pitches him overboard. Apt appears and attacks, so Pearl unleashes a demon and flees through a warren. The fighting wakes up the soldiers, and one of them almost says the captain's name. On the fast traitor that's been trailing the ragstopper, a woman and horse leap into the water. Yeah, we can skip over this. There's something important. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, I'm inclined to skip Kalam and Pearl's first conversation. They just yeah. trade some more insults. Uh, yeah, but then we learn Moby opens the Azath house. That we learn that he's cool. a soul-taken demon. I feel like that makes so much sense. Yeah, remember all those times that he was running away and coming back, like, bruised and cut and bloodied, and Fiddler just thought he was mating? Yeah, and, like, I think as well, it's like, he came from, like, a, a mage. Like, I feel like a mage wouldn't have just a normal pet. Speaking of... Uh, so the epigraph for chapter five, and this is something that I caught uh, last time I read Dead House Gates, and I made a post on the subreddit about it, and I think I pointed this out for a lot of people as well. But uh, the epigraph for chapter five of Dead House Gates, Bokarala seemed to have originated in the wastes of Raraku. Before long, these social creatures spread outward and were soon seen throughout seven cities. As efficacious rat control in settlements, the Bokarala were not only tolerated, but often encouraged. It was not long before lively trade in domesticated breeds became a major export. The usage and demonic investment of this species among mages and alchemists is a matter for discussion within treatises more specific than this one. Baruch's 321st treatise offers a succinct analysis for interested scholars. 
So Baruch is the alchemist that we met in Gardens yep. of the Moon, who was friends with Crocus's uncle, who has a Bokorala that's demon invested and is a soul taken demon. Last time I read that, I was like, no way. Erickson is basically telling you without telling you in chapter five. Yeah, that's <laughs> actually pretty cool. Demon. That's like the it's like the hinting at uh, Coltane, not Coltane, uh, Cotillion, Cotillion and, and Shadow Throne. Yeah, yeah, as well done. Yeah, cool. and I think there's a couple of times where there's like a big dark black shape in the whirlwind that's fighting shapeshifters, like by Fiddler's group. I think that mm-hmm. was Moby. Yeah, they mention it, don't they? Like, oh, you're following us, like protecting us or something. Yep. But uh, right there after they get in, don't they hear the? Well, they see the one dead guardian. Yep. Which was just, uh, an elder race. As it's well. an elder race we haven't met yet, called a Four Cruelis Sail. Has yeah, too many s- joints. I was gonna say because I had a lot of had a weird skeleton. And I'm like, I don't think we've heard of this. But then they hear the bells of some merchant. Yep. <laughs> and Fiddler's like, what is going on? <laughs> uh, Fiddler's like, did did the mage did Quick Ben give you any specific instructions about this package? Yes, he told us to handle them very carefully, but we may have broken them with all the jostling we did. You didn't break them. <laughs> How do you know? Just trust me, you didn't break them. Or you would be smears of blood somewhere. Yeah, no, they would not have survived. I thought it was funny because he gets in and he like starts going through them and he's like, <gasps> it's like it's like Christmas for him. It is Christmas for Fiddler. <laughs> and we learn Quick Ben sent the trade guild there because of his conversation with Kalam, where Kalam was like, uh yeah, so Fiddler's doing the original plan and going through Tremolore, and Quick Ben's like, damn it. Like the path of hands is going on too. Why did you guys send? Why did he go there? We didn't know the path of hands was going on. I know. I remember that. And then Quick Ben's like, now I'm going to have to figure out how to save him. Yep. So he does. And yeah. It's uh, some expensive munitions, but well needed. I thought uh, it was interesting, though, after that, when they start going in, because Absalar mentioned, she's like, oh, yeah, I know exactly how to get through. It's the exact same. It's the exact and same then they, layout. Yeah. They start walking through and they just see some girl laying there. They're like, oh, yeah, it's the one dude's daughter. Let's keep going. <laughs> like, just don't even do anything. Just once past. again, Absalar's memory is like, you guys need a piece of information. I got you. Yep. Yep. Something about Dasimul Tor must have brought her here after Hurd was done using her. Uh, we yeah. heard about this in the very in the prologue for Gardens of the Moon. Gnose mentions to uh, Whiskey Jack that it said Dasimultor betrayed a god. Yep. So there you are. Hood. You yeah. don't even have enough information to have questions about that, I feel like. Well, my my only question would be like, what was exactly using her? Like, what was the relationship there, I guess? And then like, what? Because obviously Dasimultor was a servant of Hood. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, is fitting for being like the first sword of the emperor of a imperialistic uh empire. yeah right he served hood well he did he did a great job and then the suit of armor is like welcome little one i've missed having company oh to moby right yeah the suit of armor in the hallway says hi to moby he's like i don't appreciate the mess you made though <laughs> yeah i mean i don't have anything else about that section neither uh, what's the uh, next one We've got Coltane's army in a running battle for 40 hours. Oh, yeah. Good night. That was depressing to read. 
stepping over dead bodies, doing as much as they can to kill the other side. Just constant, like, moving, like, just defending themselves from attack after attack. And then Duiker is summoned and told to negotiate for the passage of the refugees while the army keeps fighting. He's like, you're you're in charge now. And doesn't he take on the titles, old man? I actually cheered up a little in this scene because Lola's like, Fist, Duiker has taken on the title of old man. I don't like that title. Can we give him a new one? And Coltane's like, you're a soldier. Is that okay with you? And Duiker's yeah. like, yeah, I think so. No, it was a uh, because I and I think it was Duiker mentioned that this was a very like kind of a bittersweet way to describe it. But he's like, there's no formal goodbye or like words yeah. exchanged or anything like it's, that. It's he's kind just of like, rushed. Bolt isn't there. A list isn't there. Bit of an awkward situation. They're just like, all right, we'll see you. Bye. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, Coltane also gives Duiker the vial. Because Coltane doesn't want it and says that Duerker and his ability to tell the story is more important than Coltane. Which is rather sad because Coltane is awesome. So cool. But uh, they, they managed to buy passage and get through the refugees, all of them. Yep, they do. And they offer the money. And the tribe's woman leader is like, this is not a donation. That's that's like your army's annual pay. There's no way they gave all of this. And Duker's like, uh, yeah, they did. And then the Wiccans offer all of their stuff. And she's like, no, it's too much. So we're going to give you healing and we'll give you an escort to this town. And that will be enough. Yep. Uh, that was pretty cool. Is this the part as well where Duker speaks with the nobility? Or yes, because they want to ride it. So this is later that night. Uh, the refugees are like just releasing everything. Like it hits them finally. Uh-huh. And the nobles have the nerve to uh, come by and ask, so those of us with some wealth, we've managed to purchase some horses and carriages. We would like to go on ahead and just prepare the way for you. I was so bugged. Uh, yeah. like absolutely not insults one of them and he starts drawing his sword and when it's like halfway out of the sheath Duiker has already gotten his sword out and just knocks him out with sight of it I because he's like do you want me to finish what I was about to do or what I started at uh, the one thing oh yeah so I was like please do just just him just him send a message uh, I there was a line I wanted to point out stay in hood's blind side friend I wish the same for all of you and Coltane, not a chance of that, Duiker. We intend to carve a bloody path right down the bastard's throat. I thought that was such a good line. They just know, they're just accepting like what's going to happen. Yeah. They're going out in style. Oh, and then Duiker starts pushing the refugees down the road. And some so of them sad. just give up. And there's like nothing he can do. Like literally nothing. And he finds like the toddler wandering oh, around. Yeah. I was like, that it, it just like, it's so short, the description, but just screams pure chaos. Oh, yeah. And like, just fear of just trying to get in. And the soldiers of the army have been forbidden from doing anything. Just and so I guess the commander of the city guard let them come out. But yep. yeah, Duiker runs into Kaneb. Yep. Hands him the kid and is like, take care of this kid. 
parents may still be alive. Yeah. And, uh, oh man, I teared up again at this part. Just the people sitting down and then Duerker just being the last one through the gates. And like, he thinks back of the whole journey that they've been on. And then he just can't anymore because it, it's been too much. Yeah, no, it's been a, it's been a long time of getting there, which, uh, could have been a little different. He could have been with uh, the mage, Culp, right? Oh, yeah. Could have been with him, or he could have been with the Marines. But he chose to go with the campaign. Yep. Duerker walks through the gates, and there's like a triumphant cheer from the soldiers. And I get the sense that Duerker is like, this is, that doesn't deserve a cheer. I think it does. Despite what happens next chapter, like, Coltane won. Kinda. Yeah. No, he, in terms of his mission of getting the people there, like we saw at the very beginning of the book, that's what they were drilling. How do we get these people out? Yep. And that's what they did. And they always took care of the refugees. They could have just left them at any time. And just like full, full send, get out of there. Full send, get out of there and take the, uh, take the fight to the rebellion. But they had the civilians to take care of. So that's what they did. Yep. Yeah, it just it hits really hard. Yeah, like all it all combine like it all just kind of like collapses down into the or is that the yeah. right way to describe it? I don't know. Yeah. And then we get another poignant scene, the next scene, because Cotillion meets with Apton the kid, and the kid thinks that what happened to him happened because he didn't stay by his dad. And Cotillion's yep. like, No, 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 no. Your dad did everything he could. You couldn't have done anything. And you are yep. never going to feel that way again. Yeah. Which I thought was a interesting thing or an interesting scene, I guess. Yeah, from the God of Assassins, right? Like it felt a little kind of out of place for some reason. Like it was really cool to see, but like it just kind of like felt like he threw that in. But Oh, the scene itself? Yeah. Is what I mean. I mean, it it leads a little bit into the next scene with Kalam and Pearl, because Abby yeah. leaves and then we see her appear. But yeah, yeah, I really like Cotillion's has a line here about like, I escape. Part of the reason I ascended was to escape like human feelings and negative emotions and stuff. But thank you for the reminder. Yeah, I thought uh, this was like kind of a bit of a lesser note but i thought it was funny how the kid's like why do you keep walking through trees <laughs> yeah and cotillion's like i've always wondered why the hounds don't run in what looks like a straight line and the kid seems to be able to see through the shadows because then cotillion leaves and as he walks away he's like enveloped in shadows because he's a drama queen and wants a dramatic exit and yeah. the kid is like does he really think i can't see him right now i know i thought it was so funny because he, he keeps at yeah, it's his mom now. And he's like, does he know that we can still see him? Like, he's not yeah. hidden. The kid's one eye means that he has a second and third eye for for oh, extra yeah. sight. It's pretty cool. Uh, and then what did you think of the reveal of uh, Salkalana's Pearl? It felt like it finally like helped connect some things where I'm like, Pearl didn't feel unnecessary. At that one part <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where you're just like, why, where, what? And, uh, no, it, it was, it was cool to see that. I mean, it was kind of unfortunate to see like 
the power he possessed, which is kind of weird. Like he has that Warren access to it or something. Mm-hmm. And like it kind of shut down Kalam because I was like, he's like, oh, I would lose. He's like, hands down to you if you were like in your right state of mind. Yeah, he's like, Topper, the leader of the Claw. You're probably better than him. He's like, yeah, if you stayed, you would be the leader. You would be like the Claw. Yeah, so uh, anyways, Lucine wants a conversation with you, but Claw Justice is coming first. Yep. And you've got a party waiting for you, and you are so badass that even stabbing you, throwing you into the water with your armor infested with sharks, you'll I, think still get you'll, out. I think you'll pull through. Yeah, which uh, for what from what I know about the claw and what we've read so far, I'm like, Kalam's pretty sweet. It just adds oh, more yeah. to him. I thought it was just so cool to read this because I was like, well, he's awesome. Yeah, because if if you remember from Gardens of the Moon, it's like a once, it's like an unheard of thing that Kalam was taken into the claw already as an adult. He was already such a badass assassin in Seven Cities. Mm-hmm. When the Malazan Empire invaded, that they were like, "Well, you can join. You're good enough." Which is a uh, pretty sweet. I was I was really happy to read this. I mean, as unfortunate as it is him being stabbed and tossed into shark infested waters in armor, I was still like, I just got you. We just got to learn so much more about Kalan. That was really cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Tattersail's comment of, "I thought they didn't let people leave the claw," and he just shrugs. That's coming back to bite him now. Yep. Yeah, he'll still survive. You'll get out of it. At least we hope. Yeah. Funny how uh, there was magic affecting the ship and there were unseasonal trade winds that just so happened to blow them to Malaz City instead of the capital. And funny how Lacine, the Empress, just so happens to be here when he was trying to go to the capital to find Lacine. Hmm. I wonder how this is all happening. Yeah. So Apt appears. And Pearl goes to start saying thank you when she attacks. So he's like, well, here's another demon for you to fight. Bye. And then she basically makes quick work of that demon. She makes quick work of the demon. And the kid's like, hey, can we just make this quick? Yeah, let's make this quick. And then it wakes up all of the crew and the captain is like, my mind is clearer than it's been in a long time. Captain, what about all of the stuff on board? We can raise her, but we got to be alive. Yep. And they start saying the captain's name. I didn't catch that. Because oh. they don't say that, do they? No, they don't say the full thing. Uh, the first mate starts saying, good to have you back, Carther. And then gets shut up. Apparently, so, I thought there was a chance dude. you might have caught that. But if you didn't, I'll just point that out and leave that for later. So I'll leave that for later. Uh, and then Manala jumps into the water. And the captain of that ship is like, any woman crazy enough to do what she's doing deserves our help. So let's go get her. Let's help her stay away from the sharks. And that's the end of chapter 20. I for some reason totally missed that part about the first mate. I drowned years ago, remember? So obviously he's a he's a wanted man that faked his death. Some kind of important dude. Raffo. Yep. It's our motto. I think our motto is actually yep, because when I'm editing the amount of yeps that I hear, we say that so much. And the ums and ahs. But now we get to the the big one. Yes. Shortest chapter in this section that we read. Shortest chapter, but the most important. Because when you're like, you got to read all in one sitting, if you can, I'm like, 
Ooh, we'll see if I can do that. And then I yeah. I was on the train this morning and I looked at it and it was like 10 pages and I was like, easy. I got this. Didn't realize what those 10 pages contained. Nope. I did. I, I did warn Matt. I said, read chapter 21 all in one sitting if you can. And he was like, oh, so it's a good one. And I didn't want to say like, he didn't, he didn't I, I, really I just, I just said, anything. yeah, but I didn't want to be like, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways, um, chapter 21. Felicin and Haboric talk about uh, Felicin's bargain with the goddess. Shaikh was not reborn, but remade. She will use Drizda's warren to transport them to Eren. Duerker is summoned to the top of the city wall, where he witnesses the final end of the chain of dogs. List and Bolt fall, and Coltane is the last soldier left alive. Thousands of crows come to take his soul, but are being killed by Camus Relo's magic. The archer Squint is summoned, who refuses to kill Coltane until Nether pleads with him. His shot punches through Coltane's head, killing him instantly and releasing his soul to buffer Relo's magic as it's taken by the birds. The seventh army is dead. Rip. Yeah. So let's let's leave Felicin and Haboric for like an afterthought at the end. What did you think about the uh, ending of the Chain of Dogs? Makes me hate that captain or the leader, High Fist or whatever he is. Hormqual. Hormqual. He sh- he should have been thrown off the the thing. <laughs> I feel like Dewworker. Oh, I agree. If anything, he should have done. I don't care what repercussions there were. They wouldn't have been as bad. As he, they sh- he should have just thrown him off the thing and been like, "Well, that's what you get." Because uh, he's just like, and you're not going to do anything. He's like, "What? Oh, we can't. Not anymore." I'm like, "You've yeah. done something forever ago." Malagrell is there as well. Like. You're right. You can't do anything. It would yep. be pointless. And all the soldiers are like, we we want to help, you know. Yeah, but, but soldiers' discipline and training is it gets very ingrained. Yeah, because it's uh they could have stopped the rebel fist easily if they had some support. But it was is definitely a way to go out. They went out in style, like because they look at it and they're. Well, what I thought was crazy, first off, is all these mounds. They're the mass grave sites from the Talani yeah, Mass. For when the Talani Mass just attacked the city occupants, that's a whole other thing that they oh, mention. Yeah. yeah, just in passing. Oh, yeah, no, those are just mass mounds. Yeah, it's all crazy. of these mounds that surround the city, each one containing, like, thousands of people. Yeah. Yeah, the Talani Mass killed a lot of people at one point. Yep. And, uh, but it's crazy because, I mean, it opens up with, like, they can he, they're not too far away where they can't see anything but they're close enough that they can see enough and it's just crazy cuz they're just standing there at the standards and you just slowly see them like fall and like pretty sad and then soldiers fighting with no armor left on no weapons in hand just throwing their bodies in front of the enemy and i mean duiker mentions he's like there's nothing left but just like flesh like there's no bodies per se and the other army is so, like, rage-infested, if that's what you could say, that they're fighting amongst themselves just to kill the the 7th army. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, pretty sad. And then, of course, the guy is just pure evil, and just, like, they stab Coltane and just leave him there. Yeah, raise him up on a cross. Yeah. Yeah, so... Bolt gets stabbed through, pinned to the ground. Even as that happens, he kills the guy that stabs him. The standard bearer dives forward to try to help him, and it's List. It's the corporal that Duerker's been guided by the whole book. 
Yep. And it's some comment about, and he died just like he died in all the war games. The dogs die. The wicked dog dogs. that's been following them gets speared through. Those dogs were insane, though. Littered with arrows, like a porcupine, essentially, and still fighting. Good night. Yeah. Yeah, so they uh, they raise Coltane up on a cross, and uh, Sormo Enath, the super powerful warlock, needed 12 crows uh, when he was reborn, and Coltane needs thousands. Because he is near ascendancy, but not anymore. Yep, so uh, Camus Rila was destroying the crows, and oh, the archer. Poor archer. They summon the archer, and they're like, Give that guy some mercy. And Squint's like, yeah, that's a good thing to do. And then he raises the bow and he's like, you want me to kill Coltane? They're like, yep. And it takes Nether like pleading pleading, with him crying. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just please end it. Because fortunately, the Corval Dom knows what's happening. Mm -hmm. So, and Squint is still looking at her when he releases the arrow. Like he was crying. Yeah, so that's that's why it goes high. But they also he also says it's half a thousand paces away. So 500 paces, even from the top of a wall, that's impressive. That's a shot. Uh, yeah, kills Coltane. And once again, like the, po- the power of a life force, like Coltane's soul is released and it buffets away all of the magic that's trying to kill the crows and they all fly away. Yeah. No, I I remember when I finished this. Well, I remember at work I told you I was like, yeah, no, I was on the train and like I finished it and then I just put the book away and I was like, I was sad. Yeah, no, I uh, yeah, it it messes me up for like fifteen minutes every time. Last time I read this, I was sobbing because I did not remember that chapter twenty one was this, so I was yeah. not expecting it. It didn't hit me quite that hard this time, but yeah, it was, it was. Like, like, I mean, I mentioned I'm not I don't really cry or anything, but like it did hit me. I was just like, dang, I really liked Coltane. He was cool. Him and his uncle. And it's just it was just so unfortunate to see, like, after all that, like, I'm happy, which is kind of sad to say that you're happy about the way they died. But like they went out like in a blaze of glory where I feel like they went out how they would want to go out, like being a soldier and a war chief or something. It's just kind of like their mentality, I feel like, but yeah, it, I don't know. It just, so it for me every time I read it, there's a sense of like, like no, can it end differently this time? I <laughs> like, because like, I I agree with what Dujek Dujek's message was: the Malazan army can't lose Coltane. I feel like Coltane has shown he's like he's a genius. Oh and yeah, so they they need him for like the campaign to take try to take back seven cities but even without that it's like the like the level of honor that he shows throughout the whole book of like never abandoning the refugees and Um, just like i think the wiccan clans in general like they're like as kind of bit too crazy sometimes they're like like you mentioned like very honorable like they stick to what they believe yeah, I, Coltane is proof as well. I think you don't have to be good with people to be a good leader. Yeah, Coltane let Bolt do all the talking with people because and kept himself aloof. Yeah, but... and I I think it does show as well. It's like you, like if you have the right people around you, like he had his uncle, like Bolt, then you can have a lot of success. 
Like, I mean, if it was just Coltane, it, I don't think he would have been as successful. I feel like Bolt being there really assisted in that. Yeah. So, but it was a, it was a bittersweet ending for it. Yep. And I know I say all the time, I've heard Erickson say, but one of the things that he says kind of guided him through to the chain of dogs, and I could totally be butchering the context of this quote, but I think it was said about uh, the chain of dogs specifically is that he realized he was writing a tragedy with fantasy elements and not fantasy with tragedy elements. Mm. And so the main thrust of the chain of dogs is the despair and then the hope and then the despair and then the hope. And then it ends the exact way you don't want it to end. And like the main thrust is meant to be the despair that's felt and the disbelief and the anger at the commander instead of, Oh, look at all of these cool magic battles that are happening. Yeah. Which I think it was the right choice to tell like a impactful story. I think in terms of just storytelling in general, I feel like that was the right move. Like as if he just told a fantasy story with like some tragedy, like it definitely wouldn't have been as impactful because they've been like, oh, we lost people, but that happens all the time. But this was like you went through an entire journey and saw the end had you definitely don't want it to end even though you kind of knew kind of felt like you saw it coming in some aspects. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime during the book, you were like, I wonder how this is going to end. Like they're going to meet up with someone or what's going to happen. I was like, Oh, well you see. Yeah. Cause I was like, part of me was like feeling like, well, this is a story. Like it has to like, it has to end like in a better way. Right. Like they have to figure a way to at least get out or hold out. And then it's like a cliffhanger for the next book or something. But part of me was like, I feel like it is not going to end how I want. I'm going to want it to end. And like, I thought though, the entire campaign refugees included would be destroyed. And like just a handful would escape. So I'm happy to see that. And I think it makes it even better that the refugees made it. Yeah. It, it makes you not hate it as much because Coltane did what he wanted to do. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, saved roughly 30,000 lives-ish. Ish. Which, I mean, I keep forgetting how big. Oh, yeah, it's massive. Like, how big it is. Just how big this campaign was and this journey was. Yeah, Duerker at one point mentions, like, the entire train was, like, almost an Imperial League long, which is probably, like, three or four miles. Yeah, which is just insane to think about. So probably over 40 45,000 people no it was uh like i just forget the scale of some of these things like it's so hard to imagine and like i feel like capture sometimes in words without being over the top yeah for sure because you stay with you stay with the individual characters and then yeah well anything else on the tragedy of the chain of dogs nope okay um Surprise, surprise, it will probably get brought up again next episode, but um, yeah, and then, like I said, kind of the footnote at the end, we've got Felicin and Heberich, and actually pretty interesting, if yeah. it wasn't for what happened after, Felicin made a bargain with the goddess Drishna, and Shaikh was remade, not reborn, so she still keeps all of her memories, and yeah. Yeah. And kind of thinks about how she's going to fight the Empire. 
Yep. How? Well, she's like, well, you see, the Empire has a commander. I'm just a nameless face, but I know their commander inside and out. I'm curious to hear that. It is now it is now 1040 (sighs) p.m. So that's if we yawn, that's why. But we should be almost done. Yeah. No. And then uh, the Warren, I thought was kind of cool. Oh, yeah. She's just going to use it to transport them. Yeah, like the storm. She's like, well, what do you think the storm is? He's like, well, how are we going to get there? It's so far away. And she's like, that's why we got the sandstorm, right? But it's a warren. Yeah. The sandstorm is the borders of the goddess's warren, which there you go. There's something else about warrens to think about. I'm so tired of these warrens not making any sense. If there's one thing you know about warrens, they exist. Yeah, I'm I'm just going to have to accept that I won't understand them as much as I don't want to. But, yeah, so yeah. that is the ending of the chain of dogs. Rest in peace, Coltane. It great. feels like that should be the end of the book, but we've got seventy more pages. I know. I'm like, I feel like that's like a perfect ending in some aspects. But so I'm now a bit like, now what's what else is going to happen? Because the Tremolor ends. I feel like that was a good cliffhanger. Oh, yeah, Felicin, like, or Shaikh, like. Yeah, we're going to go there. That's a great cliffhanger. Dewicker watching the Chain of Dogs end. Sad ending, but it's an ending nonetheless, yeah. like a good ending. And then you got Kalam, a bit of a weird side story, it feels like. But that's still kind of a cliffhanger ending. But yeah, stabbed and thrown into the water. Yeah, like it's setting up for something else. Like that's very much, it's like a setup transition point of that. So like, I feel like, yeah, this is all very much like everything could end right here. Yep. and be done in like a small epilogue but yeah no you got a whole nother well, luckily for read. you because in order to be on schedule and uh, have lee on the podcast to discuss book two we got to read these 70 pages and record an episode in two days so yep we'll get to work on that um i think i took us out last week yeah how's that todd